Um, if you're following along in your Bibles, which you should, uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, we've been running through the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians, and we're going chapter by chapter. And the reason we're going by chapter by chapter is because God wants us to know His Word. And we learn His Word by going line by line, precept upon precept, and chapter by chapter. And it's a joy to actually learn and take. It also um, gives us a, a position of what Paul is thinking for the early church and how maybe we can apply that to our lives. Now, it's, it's an interesting one because chapter 4 builds upon chapter 3. And if you were with us last week, we were talking specifically um, about Timothy and how Timothy was an encouragement to the believers in Thessalonica. And in Thessalonians, we're, we're starting to see some questions emerge. This is a fledgling church. It's a small church. It's about the size of our congregation, maybe a bit smaller. And these are the believers in the area. There are no more. If they are out there, uh, they haven't reunited and gotten in touch with this small band of followers. And these followers actually stood up to protect Paul. And we, we hear about that in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 17, um, where Paul then goes to Berea, which is 50 miles away, and says, I want you to be a Bereans. And we talked about that, being a Berean. How many of you want to be a Berean? You want to, you want to reconcile the scriptures. You want to know the scriptures. You're not just going to trust what Nathan says. Amen? Amen. You're actually going <laughs> to... You're going to actually go read them for yourselves and know exactly what they're saying. And Paul highlights this. But the Thessalonians were beginning to ask questions. What, what's going on? And, and, and they want to know some basics of Christianity. Basics. These aren't high convoluted thoughts. They're just the basics of how the Christian lives in a world that actually so often riles against it and actually puts itself in position um, in which we have to learn how not to be the culture, but to be biblical. How many of you want to be biblical? I want to be biblical. I want, I want my conversations to be biblical. I want my understanding when I look on television and when I'm looking and appraising the things of the world to see it through the lens of the Bible. Why? Because Paul, see, Paul understands the Word of God. Paul says early on in one of his writings that, that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. When he made that statement, he was saying, I've studied the Torah up and down, so much so I've memorized it. And it's in this revelation that he has, spending time, getting saved, knowing Christ, he has this encounter with Jesus that, that he begins to instill wisdom into these fledgling churches. And for us, as we step back, we can ask the question, okay, Lord, what do you want to say to us today? What do you have for us today? What are you calling us to today? And in this, in this fourth chapter, there's a plea. Paul puts out a plea, a plea that, that first and foremost, we would, we would in some form live as brothers and sisters. Now, we would also live pure. How many of you recognize that the world is defiling a bit? And when I say the world, I mean those things outside the church, those people who do not uh, necessarily wouldn't call themselves Christians. How many of you realize that the things that are produced in the world defile? 
And, and all of us recognize that. Well, Paul says, here's what I want to I want, I take you to. He says this, he, I want to urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, that you should, what, abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. God is really concerned about the way we walk with him. He's concerned about how much time we spend with him. He's concerned about those moments in which we are uh, put into very difficult positions and how we react to those situations. Paul's, Paul's looking at this fledgling church and saying, one of the basics of Christianity is this, that you, you learn how to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. It's simple. It's not compl- Well, it, it's simple in the statement. It's very complicated in the way we live it out, isn't it? How many of you say, weekly, daily, I find that there are a lot of temptations that I get drawn to? There are a lot of things that go on in my life in which I'm kind of taken off the path into another direction, and I'm kind of off, and I find myself just kind of meandering on on the side of the, the, the world and where I'm at. I'm not on that straight path that I want to be on so that I might walk the way I'm supposed to walk. For you know what commandment, verse 2, we gave to you in the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I want to I stop right there. There's, there's, there's something God really cares about. Now, if you've become a Christian, you have been saved. The, the word often used is, is sozoed. You've been saved. Uh, for those of us who believe in being born again, uh, John chapter 3, God, God calls Nicodemus to be born again. You are a Christian. You have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are a follower. No longer are you a foreigner. You are a son and you are a daughter. How many of you love being a son or daughter of the Most High King? Amen? Yes. You've been put into this world in which you actually begin to grow. Or that's the concept. Sanctification. It comes to us with this understanding that somehow we would grow up. And if you, if you were following along in your Bible, just circle the word sanctification. It's the process of making or becoming holy, set apart. The things that make you different to the world, the things that make you stand out, this is our sanctification. And it's a conscious choice that we make now that we follow Jesus Christ. Jesus, when you are born again, he makes you new. Right? The old man has gone, the new has come, the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you are able to make decisions that at one point in time were not easy to make. You are able to follow God's path. And that's what he's saying this, this is your sanctification. And he says this, the first one, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Does anybody in this room think that sexual immorality doesn't come with consequences. It comes with consequences, does it not? Are there any statistics that we might have about the city of Dundee, for example, in which sexual immorality is involved? Anybody, any thoughts? Any, anything? This is where we get to talk. I do it every week. Lack of fathers in the home. Lack of fathers in the home, right? That's, that's one aspect to this, right? Teenage pregnancy, are we high? Yeah, we're high. No, the high is 
I know, thank God. God's answering our prayers. Highest portion rates. Highest portion rates. These are things that, that, that what, what the church should say, ah oh, yes, God has called us to sanctification, to be set apart, to be holy. Now, going a little bit further, to each of you, in verse 4, he says this, you should know and possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. I had a unique thing happen the other day. How many of you have ever had a cup of coffee that you set on your, on your side stand and um, you forgot that it was there and then you went and got another cup of coffee and you drank it and you thought you set it there? And I was laying in my bed and I was like, oh, I'm kind of thirsty. So I pulled over and I realized that that cup of coffee had been there for about three days. <laughs> the, I don't, do I need to describe what was going on inside my mouth? It was just horrible. And I, I thought, oh man, why didn't I clean my cup? Ever done that? Hopefully none of you have ever done that before, but each of you should, what, possess his own Vessel. This is what Paul is talking about. Hey, basic Christianity is that we possess that vessel, our vessel, our bodies. Why? Because the world is looking on. Everybody's watching. How, how does he do this? And he goes on to say, oh, you know, passion, lusts, those things that people don't, who don't know God, the one should take advantage. Um, don't defraud your brother. How many of you are in business? Don't defraud your brother. That's a very practical application, right? If you're in business, honor your commitments. Makes perfect sense. If you commit to something, show up and do it. If you're, if you're committed to that, do it. Why? Because there's a testimony that's coming. And then he says this in verse 7, God didn't call us to uncleanliness. He called us to what? Holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us the Holy Spirit. Now, if we don't possess our bodies in sanctification and in honor, we're going to have a real hard time loving those around us. How many of you know people who are really struggling because they're having a hard time finding how to love themselves, let alone love others? If we, if we don't understand the depth of how much God loves us, He died for us, He cares for us, He pours out His Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and guidance and love, then what happens is we have a real hard time then loving those around us. And that's what he's saying here. And he puts this in almost a parenthetical statement because he's moving in a direction. You're concerning brotherly love. I've already taught you. I've already written it to you. Do you know when I was with you in Thessalonica, I laid down my life for you. I actually was in trouble. And I had to flee because I, I showed you love. I demonstrated what love is. I sacrificed for you. When you are a Christian and you sacrifice for others, they notice, especially if they're not a Christian. How many of you have ever sacrificed at work? You went the extra mile at work. Something happened at work and you said, I got to go the extra mile. And you did it and they recognized. This is that kind of moment in which you yourself, you've, you've, you've put away the uncleanliness, you're growing in the Lord, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you've what? You've moved in a direction that gives you an orderly life. And it's so much so, he says this in verse 11, that you aspire to lead a quiet life. I always thought, you know, that would be very difficult for an American. <laughs> we tend to be loud. 
right? But the reality is, it's not, he's not talking about volume. He's talking about the way you live your life. Faithful. Committed. Joyful. Peaceful. Notice what he says here. You mind your own business. Right? You're not over the fence listening to everybody else's gossip. You're actually minding your own business. And then what does he say a little bit further? He says, he, he goes on to say that you work with your hands. Paul would have been very clear on this one. Paul said in earlier on, I didn't, I didn't ask for anything from you. I didn't take anything from you. I didn't try to steal anything from you. What I did is I worked for you. He built what? Tents. He was basically a joiner. He built houses, but he, they were tents. And this is what he did. And he said what? So that you would do the same thing. You watch me as an example, now go do it. Now, what happens is that we prosper towards those who are outside that we may lack nothing. The, the Greek really means need no, uh, need no way have. That's, that's how it reads. It doesn't really read very good in English, does it? Basically, you don't need anything because you're living a life that's quiet and peaceful and committed and caring and gracious and kind. And guess what? You are in good reputation with those who are outside the church. They're looking at you saying, I know that man. This is, this is the desire of the Christian church. And we all know that when the Christian church fails, it fails at times, doesn't it? And the first thing that everyone does is they say the one thing that we are. They're, they're hypocrites. Well, yeah, we are. We need God more than anybody. We need the grace of the Lord to, to cover our lives as much as anything else. And it's beautiful that God's given us the Holy Spirit. But his desire for us is that as we possess our vessels with honor, as we live out our lives, we what? We live a life that brings God glory. And the outsiders see it. When we were sitting around talking about the picnic today, I was so excited, and Paul was so excited, and Simon was in the room, and we were talking about how important it is that when we are doing the picnic, um, we're showing love to every person that walks through, and those that come. And as we burn the burgers, not burn them, <laughs> as we cook those burgers perfectly, there's a wafting smell that goes over the gates into the local neighborhood. Um, so that they smell them, and they are so enticed that they want to come. And when they come, what is there? A handshake. Welcome. You have entered our picnic. Now, that's going to have to take some greeters, isn't it? But every one of us are greeters in our own way. Why? Because we're living quiet, peaceful, loving, kind lives. We're so glad you're here. We want you here. God wants you here. God brought you here. There isn't one of you who walked through the door today where God wasn't involved in that decision already and you showed up here. God ordained you to be here from the foundation of the earth. Why? Because he loves you and he wants you to hear. Maybe God has a nugget of something for you today. Maybe God has a friendship that's going to be established today that you really needed. This is God. Now, in this instance, I'm going I'm to shift for a brief moment, and I'm going I'm to move from one basic. This is our life in Christ. 
Um, turn to your neighbor and say, God loves me. Now, now, you, I, I love that you did that all so quietly. Now, now I'm going to ask you to say something. God is coming back for me. Turn, turn and say that. God's coming back for me. <laughs> Some of you are like, he better. Listen, listen, listen to this. Paul transitions so rapidly, just like this sermon. It goes from, hey, this is your lifestyle, to guess what? I don't want you to be ignorant about what? The coming of those, actually, those who have fallen asleep. It's the craziest transition. It's as if Paul's writing the letter and thinking, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they don't know when God's coming back. And Jesus already promised that this generation would not fall asleep. And so you can imagine the struggle this fledgling church is having going, well, wait a second, what's happening to the people who are dying around me? What's happening to those who, who end up at the crematorium? And that I, what, what is happening? And he says this, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. When you fall asleep in the Bible, you literally, it literally means die. And, and he says this, but those that fall asleep and your sorrow for others as if you have no hope. I'm reading a different version than probably is up here. You have no hope. The word for hope is anticipation. How many of you are excited about the fact that Jesus said that he's coming back? There might be more Celtic. There, at, the, at the Celtic game today, there might be more woos from the United crowd than that. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. Reality is, woo, he's coming back. And he says this, I don't, want you, I don't want you to feel in any way as though you are ignorant to it. God is coming. So, so here's the beautiful thing about this. We know this, that Christ is coming, Christ, is, Christ has come in his first advent, and Christ is coming again. We don't know the day or the hour. We don't know when it's going to happen. But the way that you want, we want you to live in this quiet, honorable way, guess what? Live as though he's coming back tomorrow. This will shape the way you have conversations. It will shape the way in which you understand life so that your hope, it's not, it's not worried about, oh, you know, my life. We get so caught up with what, what's going to happen next year or next week or next month. You know, what does the Bible say? See that you do not worry about what? Where you're going to live or where you're going to go. Why? Because God is concerned with this, that Christ can come back at any moment. And he says this in verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Good news? Excited about telling people? All right, we'll move on. Even if, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'm not going there. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep. So you know what? You don't need to worry. God's bringing those people with him. God's going in advance. He's bringing those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the way of the word of the Lord. That's a very important statement. 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord by no means precede those who are asleep. Makes sense, right? They passed away before us. But they're not going to be forgotten, and they're not going to be left. Why? Because God has already promised in his word that he would never leave us nor forsake us. Right? Amen. So, irrespective of what happens, the Lord is going to descend. That's what it says right here. Verse 16, but we don't know the day or the hour. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and the dead and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Amen? That's called the resurrection. The one thing that gives me hope when I go to the crematorium, every time I walk into the crematorium, is the resurrection. I know for a fact that I will be resurrected one day. It's the one thing that gives me hope. That I have Christ, and in Christ, I'm resurrected. So no matter what goes on in my life here on earth, no matter how sick I become, or if I were to die in advance, guess what? I'm being resurrected. It gives us hope when we deal with situations with people who happen to die early, and we go, gosh, they died early. Well, guess what? There's resurrection. The promise of the resurrection. How many of you hope in the resurrection? Amen. Yeah. Then we who are alive shall remain and be caught up with them in the clouds, meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. This is the final consummation. It's a beautiful thing. We will be with the Lord forever. How many of you love that truth? I love that truth. It's, 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 it's so important. And guess what I find out of it? I find great comfort. And that's what Paul says in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. When you worry about the future, or you worry about the relative, or you worry about the situation, God has already said, in Christ, there will be resurrection. And those of us who serve the Lord in that resurrection powerfully, and we walk with God in our lives, we we spend time with God, guess what happens at the resurrection? We're given and add a great encouragement from the Lord. He says this, well done, good and faithful servant. And then what do we get? Rest. Rest. Powerful rest. Now, Paul will go on through chapter 5 into the seasons and so forth. But before he gets to the season, I want to say this. One of my favorite passages is Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, you have the parable of the ten virgins. The ten virgins are a great parable because five of the virgins actually go out and um, get themselves ready for the Lord's coming. The others, they kind of squander that opportunity and they kind of live the way they want to live. And, and, and what happens in the middle of the par- parable is unique in the sense that you find that it says that every one of them kind of fell asleep. They all got tired. How many of you are tired in this lifetime? It doesn't matter if you are, it doesn't matter if you are a Christian or a non-Christian, you get tired. Your bodies get tired. And it says this in the middle of the parable that they all fall asleep. But then the bridegroom comes. And as the bridegroom shows up, 
and, and, and he knocks on the door. Guess what? The five that have the oil in their lamps, oil always represents the power, the, represents God's Holy Spirit. It's throughout the whole of the Old Testament. They have the oil. They light their lamps and they make their way out to their bridegroom. But the five who were out doing something else and not quite ready for it, then they come back in and they say to the ones who have readied their lamps and trimmed their lamps and have their oil, hey, give us some of that oil. Problem is, the people in the parable, Jesus tells us, says, go away and get your own oil. <laughs> go buy it. Go get your own. We have ours. And they are received into the Lord. He takes them away. And he takes them into his house and he shuts the door. And those that did not get the oil, those that did not get ready, they knock at the door. Hey, let us in. And what does he say to them? Anybody, anybody know this parable? What does he say? I don't know you. Go away. Now, it's, it's such a unique parable. But it highlights again and again the resurrection of God, that God loves us, that he's coming back for us. And that should give us hope. I have hope. I have hope for my friends. I have hope for my neighbors. I have hope for my children. I have hope for my, um, I have hope for my parents. I have hope for my family. I have hope for my, um, I have hope for the politicians. Don't say a word. I have hope. Why? Because God, God loves us. Are you comforted that Christ is coming back? Are you worried about what happens when he comes back? Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. But I, I want to say this. I, I think as we transition into just doing our last song, I want to pray for us. Um, one of the key things when I became a Christian as I was going to a church that taught the doctrine of the eminent return of Christ, and I really appreciated that they taught that eminent return of Christ because it got me ready. It got me ready for those conversations that I thought, hey, I've got to have. It got me ready to realize that God can come back at any time. You do realize there's no prophecy that needs to take shape in this book. It's already been met by the Lord. And God can come back at any time. And so the, the admonition for me was, well, why don't I live for Jesus today? When I forget that God is coming back, I forget to live for him sometimes. I forget to know that he's coming. And I need to be ready. And sometimes I forget, and I, I kind of translate myself to forgetting that I need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit again and the oil of the Lord. And I want to say this, that the reason that we need to be filled repeatedly is that we often leak. Sometimes we open ourselves up to things that aren't godly. And God wants to fill us afresh again and give us his anointing, which means that we can live out this life with quiet reverence, with love for our neighbors. Um, we can work with our hands in a new way. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us. And if you want more of the Holy Spirit, Simon, if you just come up and play, if you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to 
Uh, I'm going to ask you to be bold because, quite frankly, this is the safest place you're ever going to be when you get a question like this. Um, if you want more of the Holy Spirit and you're sensing, hey, I'm just not hearing or maybe I need to hear more or, Lord, I'm, I'm missing you. My, my, my communion times with you just aren't quite the same. It's very simple. Come back to me. Just come back. That's what the Lord said. And so if that's you and you, you want more of the Holy Spirit, I want, you to, I want you to do what, well, I want you to do something. I want you to stand. If that's you, okay. Not everybody has to stand. This is a, between you and the Lord. But if you need the Holy Spirit, we're just going to go before him. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to ask the Lord to come in. And as he prays, I'll, I'll pray. But we're going to be silent for a bit. And we're just going to listen for a minute or two to what he has to say. Just press into him. Just get close. <laughs>